Welcome to Fabulous After 50, the podcast for women wanting to make the most of their lives. My name is Julie Kennedy, and I am your host. Today, I welcome a remarkable woman to the show, registered dietitian and certified primal health coach, Martha Tettenborn, who all the way from Canada, will be sharing today her remarkable story, what she learned, what she advises, and how she shares this to help others. So Martha, can we please start by maybe you introducing yourself in your own words, you know, what you do, why you do it, why this is so important, and then we'll get into the core of the matter. Sure. Well, thank you, Julie, very much for having me on your show. Yeah, so I am a registered dietitian and have been for 35-ish years, and I live in Ontario, Canada, so I'm licensed as a dietitian here. Most of my day job is in long-term care, where I work as a contract, a self-employed contract dietitian in a variety of different nursing homes around the area, and I love gerontology. I absolutely love it. But my own personal health journey, you know, over the last 30 years has been like a lot of women. I, you know, struggled with the same 20 extra pounds and could never get them off and you know wasn't always happy with my body and all that kind of stuff and so it probably about 10 15 years ago now I started down the the road of looking at low carbohydrate which of course was anathema to you know my training I trained in the 1980s when low fat was king right and you know and fat was a bad word and we thought cholesterol from eggs was going to kill us and give us heart attacks and you know how we ended up on such a wrong path is another entire story obviously and is well documented out there for the people who go looking for it but, but anyways, I figured it out and I started down a different path, looking at a more ancestral root cause based sort of way of, of looking at health and at eating. And that ended me up moving towards low carbohydrate and understanding okay. that sugar and flour and process were, you know, new additions and, oh, and, and industrial processed seed oils were new additions to our diet in the last 150 years. And all these chronic health conditions that we consider the non-contagious ones, right? Um, non-communicable chronic diseases like heart disease and cancer and Alzheimer's and diabetes, type 2 diabetes, all that kind of stuff. They've all grown from being rarities, you know, even 100, mm. 120 years ago to now being like the hugest killers ever. And like, what the heck are we doing wrong? And right. of course, we were blaming it on meat and particularly, you know, animal fats. And it's like animal fats have been in our diet for two million years. How can mm. that be the problem? Right. So it made so much sense to me. And so I, I ended up doing the primal health coach certification to expand my, my low carb knowledge and make it more in depth. It did make me a bit of a renegade as far as being a dietitian, because my profession is still stuck in the, the previous paradigm, yeah. as is a lot of the international health guidelines that we all have to work off of in our professional lives. So I started a private practice and tried to do it all in person which was where I was comfortable, but I live in a very small city and wasn't having a whole lot of success with that. Anyways, in 2018, the summer of 2018, I'm in, you know, fabulous health. I was 58 years old and, and post about eight years postmenopausal and, you know, life was fine. It was great. And I discovered that I had a huge ovarian cyst in my abdomen, like the size of it was about six inches across or about 16 centimeters when they discovered Goodness, it. it's yeah. huge it was a baby well by the time it got taken out a few months later it was about the size of a baby 
it it had risen up to above my my navel like my belly button so you know I, when I sat down I was having to pull my pants up over the lump sort of thing so so yeah it turned out to be a very large fluid filled very simple ovarian cyst and there was no indication that it was cancerous because the the blood marker that they do for ovarian cancer did not show hardly any elevation it was just sort of at the top of just above the top of the normal range. So nobody thought it was cancer. So I made the decision to have the cyst removed laparoscopically, my local hospital. So they what actually- What does laparoscopically go, mean? It means that they go in through the little tiny incisions. Right. So instead of opening you up and taking the cyst out, they, they do little tiny incisions and they work with tools inside your abdomen. Wow. And so basically what they did is they, they ruptured this- enormous balloon which at this point was like this and, and they suck out all of the contents and then once that's done they can take out this deflated balloon right. right and so they took out both ovaries both fallopian tubes and and they took off one and a half liters of fluid out of Good enough. yeah can i ask you how did you know I, I mean i think we're at this age where or i certainly know that i am you know i've always been a mind over matter you know etc but now i'm getting to the stage where there are certain signs that one should take seriously and at least have them looked after what were your symptoms in the first place for your cyst could you see it was it like a huge bump no no. no. And, and that's the crazy thing about ovarian cancer. And one of the messages that I try and get out at any time I'm talking to a, a woman, female audience, is that our ovaries are like the most precious part of us, right? They're, they're yeah. the, the next generation. And so they're buried deep, deep inside our, our pelvic cavity. And when things happen to them, it's not like it's on the surface. It's not like okay. finding a lump in your breast or in your armpit or, you know, or skin cancer or something. Things happen so deep inside and so they call ovarian cancer the cancer that whispers oh. because it, the symptoms of it are things like bloating early satiety possibly constipation occasionally like unusual bleeding and stuff but but it's not it's not uterine it's it's ovarian so it's different right and well, that and sounds awfully like stuff that most of us get during menopause anyway totally exactly and most of us kind of go oh well it's just me and aging. part of it yes menopause. and and then as women we don't take ourselves seriously enough and do enough self-care to kind of go like okay this is weird right true. so I hadn't noticed anything I had no pain I had other than the fact that that spring because this was the middle of summer when I found it that spring I had not lost the usual sort of five pounds that I, you know, I, I, I live in a wintry climate. Yes, I yes. hibernate in the winter. I put on five pounds, right. five to eight pounds over the fall, take it off in the spring, you know, and I hadn't taken it off. And, and some of my naughty pants, like my hiking pants and stuff, they weren't fitting comfortably. Like okay. my, my gut was, and I just put that down to the fact that I hadn't lost the weight, the winter weight. My funny story, my girlfriend had been working at a gym, one of my, my dearest, oldest friends had been working at a gym because she had this goal of being what's called a monkey at, at the motorcycle racetrack. And the monkey is the person who rides the sidecar, which is nothing but a platform with a bar right. and they counterbalance. Oh my goodness. The driver on a racetrack, which is wow. very bendy. And so it requires incredible body strength. And she's same age as me. She was 58. Fabulous. Um, I know. So when I saw her, I was inspired by her, her fitness and her commitment. And I'd said, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm I'll come too. Yeah. With that. So in the middle of summer, she sent me a text message out of the blue. And she said, So what are you up to on your plank? Right, which is that exercise, yes. where you hold yourself up horizontally. 
And it's like, ooh, haven't done one of those in a while. <laughs> yes. So I laid down on the living room floor. I literally just got off the couch right as soon as I got it, laid down on the living room floor. And it's the moment I laid down, there was something in my belly that I was laying on. There was a bump. Like right. it felt like I was laying on. So that's bed. how you became aware that there was something. That's how I found it. I, I kind of went, this isn't like, this isn't right. I, right, girl. So I hope you're listening. All start your planks, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. It, like I have nothing in my life that makes me lay down on my stomach. Nothing. Yes. I don't have puppies. No. I don't have grandbabies. You know, I, I can't lay, I can't sleep on my stomach. So it never happens. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I just sat up, reached for the phone, called my doctor, said there's something in my abdomen. I think I need to come in. And then when my husband came in from outside or wherever he was, I said, you know, this is something happened. wrong. And yeah. Okay. So later, they removed that one. So they sucked all the fluid and removed the bag. But yeah. by then nobody knew that there was anything wrong with, with the cyst. No, no. See, so every, everybody just assumed it wasn't cancer. And me too, because I made yeah. that decision based on all the, the factors. And then six days later, after it had been removed, they called me and said, your, your surgeon would like to see you tomorrow morning, bring your mm -hmm. husband. Oh, that never sounds good. Right. No. And that was one of those kind of, oh crap moments when, you know, because I mean, I work in healthcare. I know what that means. Yeah. 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 Right. So that was the start of the the cancer journey like so, so in the, the meantime the, they'd done they'd done a biopsy on the on the tissue that they'd removed then yes they, so they did yeah. the pathology on the right on okay. the, the cyst and it turned out to be high grade serous carcinoma oh it was considered goodness. stage one it was completely you know encapsulated there was no sign of anything else but they had ruptured it inside my abdomen yes so that meant that I, I needed to continue with care. I needed to, to do chemotherapy. Oh, okay, right. Right, because cancer cells could be released into your whole pelvic cavity with a rupture like that. Maybe, maybe not. You don't mm, know. You That's don't want to run the chance, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so I, I never spent any time carrying around a tumor that I knew was a tumor. Right. And that makes my experience a little different than some others. But I did have to go through the whole getting diagnosed, receiving a diagnosis, what that does to your life, yeah. you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all that stuff. And, and to the lives of those around you. I had to make treatment you, decisions. Right? And then I had to go through the treatment. So I had to have a second surgery for a full hysterectomy and, and uh, port placement because I had a, I decided to do one of my chemotherapies by having the liquid, the chemotherapy liquid poured directly into my pelvic cavity. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's called interperitoneal. So you put a, a chemo port, one of those little knobs that they often put up here in someone's yes. shoulder. I, mine was attached to my rib below my breast. And the tube went right down into my pelvic cavity because the type of cancer I had, they call it sticky. It's like, it doesn't escape into the lymph nodes and go everywhere else okay. as readily. It likes to stick to the walls of the abdomen or the side of the bowel or the side of the bladder or the amentum. Okay. Which is your fatty and tissue. does that mean that you get less side effects then if it's directly in? Mm, no. No. Okay. Well. <laughs> I mean, I ended up with less side effects because of the other things I did. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, yes, 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 um, yes. Yeah. But no, so I, um, in order to do that kind of chemo, which was a better version for the type of cancer I had, I, I made the decision to like, do it, like, whatever is the best, I only intend right. to do this once. So like, don't, you know, give me your best shot. We're yeah. only doing this once. Right? So you didn't hesitate then, you know, about chemo or no chemo or? No, I didn't hesitate about that part. I hesitated a lot about whether I wanted to have a hysterectomy. 
like okay before i went into this i was completely drug naive like i take nothing yes. i take some vitamin d in the winter that's it and I'm not even really great about taking that every day. And I was almost totally surgery naive. I, I just haven't had anything done ever. You know, right. I've had dental surgery, right? That's it. So so I was really, and, and I'm one of those people that believes that, you know, if God put all these things in you for, you know, they're there for a reason. You don't take them out. You don't yeah. just take them out willy nilly, right? So it was a really hard decision to, to decide to have the hysterectomy and you know, it took, it took me a long time to, to say, okay, yes. Yeah, to come this. to terms with what it meant, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I did. And that was the same surgery when they put the uh, okay. in place anyways. And, and doing it that way also meant that I had to have chemotherapy at the regional cancer center, which is three hours from where I live, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to having strictly intravenous chemotherapy, which I could have done here in my local community at a satellite center. And it was winter in central Ontario and I live in a snow belt. And so, you know, it was a, the decision to do it in in London, Ontario, which is to say three hours south of here was also a factor. A lot of challenges. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It meant going down the night before every single treatment. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting, but what it did do, that time that I had to make all those decisions and have the surgery and everything was another sort of three months, two to three months. And I was able to spend a lot of time doing research on cancer and what I wanted to do to help myself because I wasn't just willing to accept the. Right. I mean, you were, you were in that sector anyway, and you wanted to give yourself also the best chances. And I guess it takes away a bit of the helplessness, right. To feel that there's something that you can do at least. Totally. That's yeah. so much of what I was about. It's like, I am not a hapless victim and I right. am not someone who doesn't have knowledge. Like I have a background in health and I have a background in not just standard health. So what can I do to help myself? Right. right? And that's when I got digging and discovered that there was a field of new, of cancer treatment called cancer metabolism, or at least a field of, of science called cancer metabolism that I had no idea even existed. Yeah. And that's like, I was just gobsmacked. All I was ever trained was that dietitians just help people to not lose weight. That was basically it. You know, do whatever you got to do, feed them whatever you can feed them so that they don't lose weight despite the effects of the cancer and the cancer treatments. Right. And of course, chemotherapy is awful for for side effects that affect your ability to nourish yourself well like nausea and vomiting and yes. know, fatigue and all that so so i i just did this deep dive into cancer metabolism and and was was so surprised at what i found and but also so empowered because metabolism is about how you fuel things and fueling right. things is about food and food is my shtick that's where right. i live right right so, so yeah, so I developed, this was before there was a lot of information about cancer metabolism out there. Now, four years later, it's blown open. Oh, really? Open. Yeah. 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 I went to a big conference in California, Metabolic Health Summit last May, and a whole half day of that conference was dedicated to metabolic therapies for cancer. Not just okay, so what does it mean to us, you know, the common mortals? So, okay, you have your metabolism, which is to do with, with food, so the fuel that goes into your body. And so this is that the food can have an effect on the cancer or on the side effects of the chemo? 
the food, what you choose to eat can have a huge effect on how cancer can grow and develop because cancer wants to grow. It just keeps wanting to grow. That's, that's its problem. So we're talking about once you already have it, or can you also as prevention? Absolutely. And, and it comes down to the fact that cancer burns energy differently than healthy cells, and it can only really burn sugar. Well, that's its preferred fuel. And in order to do that, it loves when you have lots of sugar and carbohydrate in your diet and in your bloodstream. And it loves when all that carbohydrate makes you have a chronic level of high insulin, the hormone that you know, yes. responds to sugar in your blood. So you're basically, you're feeding it, right? You're feeding you're it feeding its favorite it. meal. You're totally feeding it with carbohydrates and sugars. And, and, you know, there's tons of other stuff about the quality of our diet and the seed oils and the glyphosates and the chemicals and all that stuff. But when it comes right down to it, cancer is an obligate. In other words, it has to have sugar, it, it can burn some glutamate, which is a, a amino acid, like a protein, but mostly it burns sugar and it burns it in a different way than healthy cells, which means that it can't burn fatty acids very well, which is your fat stores. It can't burn ketones, which is an alternate fuel that your body builds when you have low carbohydrates. It, it doesn't have the ability to burn those. It burns sugar. And so if you can control the amount of sugar in your bloodstream. And that also then drops really low the amount of insulin and insulin's a growth factor. So right. you keep that level really low. And what's called insulin like growth factor one, which is IGF one, those if you keep all those things, the cancer doesn't have what it wants to be able to have this unrestrained growth. So right. not only does it help with prevention, but it also helps with with inc- stopping it from going wild, right? That you already have, yeah. yeah. And of course, this was where you were already with the low carb, right? I was doing low carb. I had I had done some keto. I'd done a lot of work on a lot of learning on sort of how keto can be used. You define keto just for I, I always pride myself on this being a low threshold. So you know, people might not know how how would you define keto? We all know the word. It's a word used yes. frequently. So keto is just short for ketogenic diet. Keto means ketones, which is an alternate fuel source that your liver makes out of fatty acids when you don't have glucose in your diet. And genic means that we, it's a diet that promotes the creation of ketones. Right. So basically it's a diet that's low enough in carbohydrates intake that your body creates ketones as, as this alternative water soluble fuel. And we have been able to do that. We have the genetic blueprints to do that. It's nothing unusual. Babies are generally born in ketosis. Breast milk is a ketogenic food. You know, our, our ancestors didn't eat f- carbohydrate containing foods four or five times a day like we do now. Yeah, they, yeah. you know, they hunted usually when they're hungry, so fasted. And then they would, you know, gorge on, on meat and, and fat in between they you know they look for roots or but even a root isn't what we think of a root it's not like they found a potato that's full yes, of starch. yes they yes. found something like fibrous and chewy and uh, uh, right you know. and in the fall you ate fruit and berries yeah. and things that that harvested in the fall so that you could fatten up for winter that's right. what that's what sugar's role was in in nature yeah and right? we were built that way right we were built that totally way because that was the perfect way. thing for us right. and now we spend the entire year eating like it's autumn yes exactly right? and exactly. we're always fat so 
So that's all a ketogenic diet really means. And you can do it a variety of different ways. But the idea is to put your body into what's called nutritional ketosis, where you are creating ketones because of what you're doing with your nutrition. So what do you do? You reduce your carbohydrate intake low. And that low is different for different people. You know, kind of a threshold for a lot of people is about 50 grams of carbohydrate over a day. And we're not just talking about bread, pasta, rice, right? There's carbs also in vegetables and things like that as well. The starchy vegetables usually starchy have vegetables. to be restricted in order to get into ketosis. Yeah. Okay. Not Does for just rice? general healthy low carb diet, but for ketosis, yes. Right. Rice okay. is carb, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Pure carb. Okay. So, you know, a diet this a healthy whole foods based ketogenic diet because you can do it with bars and shakes and all kinds of crap, but you know, is based on animal products, meats and eggs and animal fats and fish and, you know, seafood and chicken and like poultry, all that sort of stuff. And the fats that come from those and vegetables. So green vegetables, you know, cruciferous vegetables to some degree roots, but most roots are too high in carbohydrates for much use. And I mean, nothing says you can't grate, you know, a raw carrot into a salad, but you wouldn't necessarily sit down and eat like a whole plate of cooked carrots because that's probably too much carbohydrate and um, nuts are, are sort of a natural part of that. So So you started then, so you started making sure that you had that. So while you were going through chemo. So while I went through chemo, my plan was that I stayed in ketosis. So I, I ate low enough carbohydrates strictly in ketosis for about five months while I was actively going through chemotherapy. And I didn't cheat once. Like I didn't have a yeah. single. Well, the stakes diet. were high, right? We weren't talking stakes about losing high. weight That's or right. getting healthy. We're talking about survival. Yeah. And I mean, I really believe that ketogenesis is a powerful tool. Doesn't need to be where I live my whole life. And it isn't where yeah. I live my whole life. But I kind of float on the edge of keto being right. in ketosis, you know, and the quality of what I ate was, was good, you know, like I say, meats and vegetables and, and, uh, and healthy fats always. So I really worked on that for that five months. But then the other thing that I did was I, I fasted during each of my chemotherapy treatments. And by fasting, you change the metabolism, not just of the cancer, you stress the cancer cells, but you, what fasting it's superpower, I call it, is that it changes the metabolism of your healthy cells. Because when you fast, your healthy cells quiet down, they go into sort of maintenance kind of house cleaning mode. And they're not actively growing and metabolizing. Chemotherapy is a drug that is aimed at some sort of chemical signal of fast metabolism. So it's, it's draw its role is to go in and disrupt the growth ability of cancer cells so that they die basically. And so if you can make your healthy cells not put out those signals, mm. then the cancer doesn't find them. And so how the- long are we fasting for? You know, you said your treatment, I don't, I don't actually know how long does a treatment take? Well, my, it, it varies because some are, are multi-day, like people could even wear a pump. There's one can- colon cancer treatment that involves wearing a, a pump for like two days, 48 okay, hours. Right. But my treatments and a lot of treatments are, you know, you go in and you have an infusion of a drug and then it goes, it works its way through your system. The activity takes a couple of weeks and then you go in and you do it again. Okay. But you weren't not eating for a couple of weeks. No, 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 no. I was not eating for 72 hours, (laughs) 72 hours. Okay. So I would stop eating on a Tuesday night after supper. I would not eat on Wednesday 
my chemotherapy was, was, I had a long protocol because I had those two different drugs being infused in two different ways. And so Thursday was chemo day. That would be, I would fast through through Thursday and then Friday, I would continue fasting until supper. So I, from Tuesday supper to Friday supper, and it wasn't a water only fast. It was coffee, tea, some broth, like some salted broth that I would make myself. But no hard food. So no, no, I mean, no, no, no and no significant calories, like not, not a a broth with fat in it or anything. And so you noticed a result immediately, or it was just like, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can, you know, this is something that I can do. I noticed a result immediately. I went through six rounds of a fairly significant chemotherapy, which was not supposed to be easy. Paclitaxel and carboplatin were the two drugs for anybody who's listening. And I never once threw up. I had almost no nausea. I had about four days of what I would call low energy, where I wasn't, you know, running around. I was usually in a recliner in my living room and I would, you know, get up every hour and empty the dishwasher or make some bacon and eggs or something. I was never horizontal or in bed. And after about four days, I would feel my energy coming back up. And then I'd have two weeks of pretty well normal. And And did they notice any difference in the growth or the maintenance or the maintaining, I mean, of, of the cancer? Well, see, at this point, I didn't have any cancer. Oh, yes, of course. That's right. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We were just so, making sure that you were having a total cleanup, right? That we were not we giving were any chance of it to go Looking for those rogue back. cells yeah. that escaped, yeah. right? And I mean, you really, I mean, I've, I realize I've taken you off on all sorts of directions here because suddenly we've only got like five minutes left. So <laughs> but let's finish off on the chemo side of this. And please do come back and talk more about nutrition and prevention and what we can do for ourselves because I'm absolutely fascinated by what you're saying. And it isn't common knowledge. Even, you know, you know that no. this exists four years later, but we don't even now. But you actually wrote a book about this, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Part of being angry almost that this stuff wasn't, this information wasn't out there. And I knew how much I had gone looking for information when I got the diagnosis. I started a blog. And, and then after I'd written some blog posts, a few people said, you know, you write pretty well, you should write a book. Okay, well, you know, I've cleaned my life out of a whole bunch of responsibilities to make room for (laughs) cancer. And so I started writing a book and the book was published in November 2020. So I was a year and a half out of finished treatment by then. And it's called Hacking Chemo Using Ketogenic Diet, Therapeutic Fasting and a Kick-Ass Attitude to Power Through Cancer. I have such a wonderful story because I mean, you, it's, it's taking something which happened to you, which of course you didn't ask for, nor particularly wanted to have in your life, I dare say. And you, you've decided to make something positive out of it. You've, you've given it meaning, right? You've given this experience meaning and you're helping others. And, and that's why I was so thrilled to come across you because it is that feeling of helplessness, I think, which strikes us. And, and it is a very scary topic. You know, we all know that probability-wise, if not us, there's going to be a fair amount of people in our direct environment who will be affected. And that's a terrifying thought. So, I mean, the only thing that we can do, apart, okay, we've got faith and all of that, which you might come back and talk about again at another time, but it is to make sure that we are at least serving our bodies, the part that we can do, as in choosing what that's the empowerment put in our body right that's the kick-ass attitude part (laughs) yeah and it takes commitment as you say it's you know we're we're used to a certain sort of diet but when the stakes are that high 
you know, you commit and you're a living embodiment and, and your book is proof of the fact that it has an effect. And do you actually coach people through this as well or... Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I set myself up as what I call myself the cancer doula. Right. And I love that. The concept of a doula is, is someone who supports a person going through a, a health process or a life right. process. So most of us know what a birth doula exactly. is. Exactly. I was going to say, right? I know it's in the context. Of They're birth. not there to, to deliver the baby. They're there to support the mother right. through the process. And that's where I... That's where I live. I cannot be a registered dietitian outside of Ontario. My, that's my license. And yes. I don't prescribe, but I can coach. I can help yes. people through the process, give them some skills, give them some knowledge and, and give them my life experience and my, my energy and my support and my, you know, encouragement. And Wonderful. so those are, cancer has been it has reignited my passion for the power of nutrition. I, you know, I mean, like I say, I've been dietitian for decades and you get kind of tired of doing these things, but yeah, not really being that effective. Because and you saw like, the effect, right? You, you, it's not stuff just, is effective. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah. The, there again, it's also that, that, that kick ass or that take responsibility attitude that instead of becoming a victim, in a way, you're indirectly, of course, saying, you know, thank you for having then reignited this, this passion and for being able to share it through podcasts, through books, through, through your coaching with people out there. I thank you, Martha, very much for being here today and sharing this with us. And I hope that it gives hope and trust and determination to people listening who may be going through something like this or know somebody who is. And I would love to have you back to talk also about the prevention part, as in not just waiting for you know, oh, absolutely. shit to yeah. hit the fan, but to actually. So please do come back. And thank you very, very much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been great. Take care. To the rest of you out there, take hope. This is how we can ourselves empower ourselves in order to control things which happen to us, which might not be what we've been asking for. Thank you for listening. Now it is up to you to make it happen. Join me next week for another dose of empowering vitamins as we navigate the marvelous roller coaster we call life. Subscribe and let me know what you think we should be talking about. Take care out there. <laughs>